Yes, progressive Christians, yes. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Well, we're we're certainly inter- entering into interesting times. So I, I just found that quite interesting yesterday, considering we, we just had that conversation, and then there's the whole... There's the whole service uh, talking about suffering. And I was like, wow, it looks like I beat him to the punch today. Yes. God intended for good, yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about some of the things he was talking about earlier on this week. So this is going to be, this is kind of where he like beat me to the punch earlier. So we're going to be talking about dark powers and dark forces today. So um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with spiritual warfare or familiar with that kind of uh, believe in spiritual warfare. Some people don't believe in that stuff at all. So we're going we're gonna to talk about it um, uh, starting off for sure in a very historical context. Um, uh, this isn't a question of uh, do these things happen today or not. What we're getting ready to talk about is, is not a question about does it happen today. That's, we're going to talk about that at the end. What we're talking about is purely history, just pure, raw history of the fact. Um, so that when you talk to people and you talk to people about spirituality and you talk to people about the spiritual world, I'm not giving you my thoughts about the spiritual world today. I'm talking about what was going on in the ancient world and how the ancient world perceived it, how the ancient world thought about it, and how they interacted with it. So it's going to be a little weird, so just kind of hold on to your hats because it's a little odd. And so we're going to kind of walk through it a little bit, um, but we're going to start off with Acts chapter 13. So if you want to turn to Acts chapter 13, I've actually got a board out here. For those of you who are listening on a pre-recorded uh, thing, we're going to have a little little board here. And uh, the, uh, the people here are going to learn just how bad of an artist I really am. So uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 4. Barnabas and Saul were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia. From there they sailed to Cyprus. They arrived at Salamis. There they preached God's words to the Jewish synagogue, and John was with them and their helper. And they traveled across the island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jew named Bar-Jesus. He was an evil magician and a false prophet. He was an attendant of Sergius Paulus, the governor. Paulus was a man of understanding. He sent for Barnabas and Saul, and he wanted to hear God's word. But the evil magician named Eliamus opposed them. The name Elias... Emilius means magician. He tried to keep the governor from becoming a believer. Saul was also known as Paul. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He looked straight at Eliamus and he said to him, You are a child of the devil. You are an enemy of everything that is right. You cheat people. You use all kinds of tricks. Won't you ever, ever stop twisting the right ways of the Lord? We talked about the ways, right? That's the ways of the Lord. <clears throat> Now the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind for a while, and you won't even be able to see the light of the sun. Right away, mist and darkness came over him. He tried to feel his way around, and he wanted to find someone to lend him a hand. 
When the governor saw that what had happened, he believed. He, he was amazed at what Paul was teaching about the Lord. So this is something that we kind of got to get our eyes, uh, our head wrapped around. It's right here in Scripture. There's an evil magician. Now, the question that you have to ask yourself is, is well, what is this person? Well, what they thought he was was a person who had access to powers that were beyond normal human capacity. And that's what the governor thought he was. Now, was the governor must have been a fool, right? Because that's what he says. Isn't that what the text says? The government was a moron and didn't understand that these things can't exist. Is that what it says? What's it say? He was full of wisdom. What does that mean? He did things right. He was a smart guy, learned person. This was an intelligent person who kept this guy on his staff, which is what they had. They had staffs. Of, um, it's kind of complicated. I don't want to go down too far, too much down that road. But they kept these kind of people on staff to help them discern what they should, should and should not be doing in the ancient world. That's just really weird for us. I mean, could you imagine uh, Joe Biden uh, having some kind of um, palm reader or... Uh, <laughs> <coughs> Of course, I guess we all can kind of see those kind of things. But a normal president, can't we all kind of find it odd? We would find it odd if they had a palm reader or a soothsayer or somebody who was sitting on their council. We would find that odd. And obviously we see that what? Do they find it odd? No. So we are automatically have to realize what? Our way of thinking of the world and their way of the thinking about the world is what? Different. Not good, not bad, just different. So they have a different way of imagining how the world works. So what I'm going to do for a second is I'm, I'm kind of going to paint you a picture using our little board here of how the spirit world interacted with um, the average, ordinary, everyday world. Now, the way it worked was that um, the, the Roman world was kind of like a pyramid, okay? And so at the bottom, the large majority of the people here, as we're going to call um, the poor, they're really not poor. They're people who simply live a hand-to-mouth existence. The food that you need for today is the, is the money that you either earned yesterday or right now. Okay? So it's a hand-to-mouth existence. Um, there, is another, there is another level that might be underneath them, but they're, they're significantly smaller and these would be the destitute. Okay? The destitute are actually the words that Jesus uses when he talks about blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the destitute. And those are people who don't have enough food to make it through the day. They don't have enough money to make it through the day. The large majority of people are in the poor category. They live hand-to-mouth existences. And then there's this gap, right? To like what we might call middle class. And these are merchants who are making enough to be able to live. They can begin to plan budgets. They can, there are not a lot of them. And then up here, you have the wealthy. And you have the super wealthy. And this is senators. Um, this is senators in the ancient Roman context. These are people who are really, really, really wealthy. You had to have a certain amount of wealth to even be considered able to be a senator. Yeah, it's very true. And then at the very top of the pyramid was Caesar, which actually was pronounced Kaiser. Uh, that's, a hard, that's a hard C, not a soft C. For us, it comes out Caesar. 
for them it was Kaiser. Now, what do we know that Augustus did upon the death of Julius Caesar? Does anyone know what he did? He did. Augustus made Julius Caesar God. Now, here's the question. Why didn't he make himself a God? That's exactly. Boy, someone's already done their homework already. Look at that. Um, so, uh, Augustus Caesar had Julius Caesar, his adopted father, declared divine. Now, what that did is that moved him into the realm of the divine. Okay? And what that does is that makes the Kaiser um, the, the touch point, the, the, the human point where the divine and the, the human world can kind of come together. So the way it worked is power and wealth descends from up here. The Caesars give, give benefits to senators. Senators give benefits to their wealthy patrons. The wealthy patrons give their benefits to these wealthy people. And then the rest of the wealth has got to be shared by the other 15 or um, uh, it was about 100 million people in the ancient Roman Empire. So about 85 million people had to share the rest of the wealth. And it all kind of descended like this. Wealth flows down from the top because he's the wealthiest guy. So all the benefits trickled down this way. Okay. Well, spiritual power worked the exact same way. Is that um, how would Caesar get the benefits of the gods? Well, he got lucky because his father... Julius Caesar, was among the gods. He's now dwelling in the place of the gods, in the spiritual realms, okay? Um, and they lived in what can only be called an inhabited world. And it's really different than our world. It's a world in which there are spirits and powers and ancestors, and your ancestors are all a part of this, um, each person had what was called a genius. How many of us have heard that the, that, um, the idea that they worshiped the genius of the emperor? Anyone ever heard that term? Okay. Well, that what they don't mean is that they're worshiping how smart the emperor was. They believe that every person had kind of underneath them or behind them or around them a genius. And it was tightly associated with them. And it's their spirit guide, for lack of a better term. And so when you worship the emperor, you didn't actually worship the emperor. You worshiped the genius of the emperor. And it's the spirit that's behind the emperor that's giving him his wisdom, that's guiding him on his path. And this genius has connections into this spiritual realm. I know that's weird, right? We're all go. everyone say it. That's weird, right? I get it. It's not our world. We're not talking about our world. We're talking about ancient world, right? So Julius Caesar's father now is in this world. And in the ancient world, your father takes care of you. You don't take care of your father until he's really, really, really old. So now he has ascended into the realm of the gods. So your father, Julius Caesar, can dispense benefits to Augustus Caesar, who can dispense benefits all the way down the line. Does this begin to make sense? And... So what you did is their lives were just saturated with spiritual realities. There are spirits behind everything. Now, um, how many of us are in business? Do we have any businessmen here? Great. Um, what, what's your business? What, what, like housing, marketing? Credit card processing. 
Can we use farming instead? We're going to use farming. So it's just easier that way. So let's say you farming equipment, you've got to have farming equipment, right? Because you've got you to be able to farm. So you're selling this to people. Well, um, remember, this is a big empire. And they don't have, like, the Internet that can, like, search you down. So how do you verify that you're going to make a deal with this person that you're going to sell your, you're going to buy your, your farming equipment? How do you verify that he's going to keep his end of the deal and you're going to keep your end of the deal? How do you verify it? In our world today, what do you do? You sign a contract, right? And what's the contract do? That's exactly right. And if, and if the guy that you're doing the deal with, if he uh, reneges on his deal, what happens? What do you do as the person who's on the other end? You can, but what if he tries to fight you off or hold you off or hide it? Then you end up in court, right? This is how our world works. And what's really going on is the police are acting as your arm of violence. Does this make sense? They're doing for you what you really have the right to do for yourself, but they're doing it for you. And the judge is kind of enforcing this contract. Well, how do you think that worked in the ancient world? It didn't. So everyone just broke contracts all the time and you couldn't trust anybody? How do you think that worked? I'll tell you how it worked. What you did is both of you would find a God that you both revered and feared. And you would go into his temple and you would sign this contract in the presence of the priest. And the priest would invoke some kind of incantation or some kind of ceremony that would seal the contract. That said, essentially... Let's pretend we're going to Zeus, right? So you would go into Zeus's temple, you and your, your business person, and you would say, in the name of Zeus, we're ratifying this, this contract. And if I, if I don't keep my end of the deal, because I ratified it to Zeus, before Zeus, Zeus is going to be kind of the, the guy who's going to make sure that I keep my end of the deal. He's going to validate that I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. Now, if you don't believe in Zeus, how effective is this? this um, it's not. What, do you have to, what has to happen? They all have to believe in Zeus. And this is how the spiritual world was not the spiritual world. It was intimately interconnected with business, with home life, with family life, with trade, with education. It was saturated into everything. Spirituality was, went all the way down to how you're raising your children and how your children are being taught to revere the gods. So what you get is a hierarchy here. Caesar's now a part of the gods. There are other gods that get higher and higher and higher up the hierarchy. And so these powers dispense favor all the way down from the upper to the lower levels. So these spiritual realities are constantly interfering with things. Now the way it worked was, is if I made a deal and the deal went sour or, or I, I didn't fulfill my end of the obligation... I, if I believe in Zeus, I'm now looking because I know I violated the deal, right? Well, what could happen the next fall? What could happen to my farm equipment? What could happen to my crops? They could fail. They could have something go terribly wrong. And, and I'm looking for that because I believe in Zeus. So I'm looking for the smallest thing to happen to me that, that's going to make me go, oh, I violated the deal. That's how that works. 
Um, now the question becomes, was Zeus really getting involved? That's the question. Because if he wasn't getting involved, how long before people would go, well, I broke my deal and nothing happened? Right? That's the argument. That's the argument that goes back and forth. Okay? The argument that goes back and forth is when you're looking for gods to punish you, almost any punishment will work. Well, then, how, how long before nothing happens? Before you go, oh, well, I don't know. See, it's this tricky, it's this tricky thing. What was really going on in the ancient world, and how come everybody, and I mean everybody, believed something very akin to this? Because it was real. Yeah. That's Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. <coughs> to Daniel. That's exactly right. Yes. But then they had to say, ah, this must be from the, the most high. God. Yeah, yeah. Up, further up, further up the tree. Uh, the, the real ones set the whole thing up. Right, you see how that's working? This is just really different than the way we imagine the world being. These gods and spirits and powers are interfering all the way up the line from politics to your family interactions, to business interactions, they're interfering all along the way. Now, the, the word we're going to use here is the locus of control. This is a fancy word, but it, it just means this. Where do you think your power comes from to make the world happen? Does it come from inside of you, or does it come outside of you and happen to you? Let me give you an illustration. As, but we're looking around here, we're all white, upper class, middle class people. So I guarantee you, most of us have a locus of control that's inside. A locus of control that's inside says, hey, you failed this, you need to do something better. You need to change something about your life, you need to try harder, you need to do this a little bit better, you need to do something in a better way because you're, uh, you're really in control of your outcomes. How many of us teach our children this? If you're a good parent, you teach your children this, right? You're in control of your outcomes. There are people in our culture today who do not have a locus of control that is inside. It is a locus of control that is outside. Let me give you an illustration. There are some African-American people who raise their children, and if they fail, they are told it's not your fault. It's because so-and-so is racist. It's because so-and-so says the system is stacked against you. So-and-so has done this and such to you. Now, how does this matter? Which groups of people shoot themselves in the head when they fail? That's right. People who have strong locuses of control that are internal, that are inside the person, meaning I'm in charge of my life. I'm the one that makes things happen. The people who have a locus of control inside, they're the ones that shoot themselves. How come? 
Because when this business venture fails, or that business venture fails, or this happens, or I flunk that test, or something doesn't work, whose fault is it? It's mine. When your locus of control is outside of yourself, somebody else did it. Now, we can all say, well, that's a stupid way of looking at the world. That's a dumb way of looking at the world. That's a false way of looking at the world. Really not the point. Because we're not talking about how the world works today. We're talking about how the world worked back then. Their locus of control was not inside. It was outside. And guess, what the loc- guess where the power came from that affected their lives? This spiritual realm. They believed that their lives were pushed certain directions and that they were under the control of forces that were manipulating them and they didn't have the ability to control it. You, you've been in two businesses, is what I'm hearing, right? You're in a, um, a, a, trans, a credit card business and then a farming business? Yeah. Thank you, thank you. I want to pick on you a little bit, not because you've done anything wrong, but there's some good illustrations that we can get out of this. Is there some events that happened that were kind of pivotal, at pivotal moments in the life of that business that you didn't cause but just kind of happened? Just a few? Maybe a lot, a few, a bunch? Yeah, that's right, isn't it? How many of us can cause the rain? Right? If it doesn't rain, it doesn't rain. Right? That's exactly right. Um, There's so much stuff we could share. There's so much fun stuff we could talk about this. Because where do you think the idea of getting um, irrigation comes from? What's irrigation tell you about locus of control? You have a lot more control when you can irrigate, can't you? You see see how that works? So much fun stuff here, we can't go down it. But the, the point is that Business people, military people, actually the longer you've lived life, the more you're like, I didn't cause that. I just kind of really got lucky benefits out of it. Like this happened and this happened and this happened, and I happened to be there at that time, and I caught the windfall. Timing is everything, and you can't cause that timing. They were, they were good at it. Right. Because timing is more important, and you didn't have any more control over it than they did, and it was just the matter of the timing. Well, who's in charge of that? Who's in charge of the timing? Our culture says what? Nobody's in charge of the timing. It just happens. It just occurs. Well, the ancient people said, that's not how that works. There are powers and forces that are larger than human beings that are in charge of those things. They didn't believe you didn't do anything. Look at Rome. Look what Rome did. Did they look like people who didn't think they could be in control? No. They very much believed that they were in control. They just didn't think they were in control of everything. Our culture really wants to be in control of everything. Like masks, right? We're going to control it. We're going to get this thing under control. And what did COVID prove? You're not in control. You think you're in control, and you're not. Right? So in the ancient world, the gods are in control of things like timing. They're in control of things like this guy's, business, this guy's ship sinks, this other guy's ship doesn't sink. 
They both went through the storm. One guy doesn't, the other guy does. And they're both got good captains. They both have good seamen. And we, in America today, in the 20th century, what do we say? Well, stuff just happens, right? Which is another way of saying what? I don't know. That's really all it is. There's another way of saying, I don't know. For them, the gods, the forces, the powers of darkness, and I don't mean darkness as in evil, I mean darkness as in, I don't know, I don't understand that. Dark forces and dark powers are in control of our world, and they're the ones that nudge us this direction. They're the ones that push this at this time. They're the ones in control of those things. So you can work and work and work and work and work, which, by the way, they did. There were people who worked and worked and worked and worked and worked, and they ended up having things go terrible. And then there were people who didn't work very hard and didn't do a lot of stuff, but they went and they offered the sacrifices at the right time, and it worked. What are you going to do? Right? Human beings are brutally efficient. They're going to do with what works. They don't like change because change is usually something is risky. Change is risk. For these people, the gods are in charge of the forces of darkness. Now, I'm going to read to you something from Josephus, and it's going to be weird. I'm just giving you a heads up now, okay? Um, this is from Josephus' Antiquities, Book 8, Verses 42 through 49. Now, here's the fun thing. This is an exorcism that's occurring right around 60, 70 AD. So about 40 years after the life of Christ. This is, now what this is, is this is a typical Jewish exorcism. Okay? This is how it was done. This is how magic was done. Okay, now, um, before we go down this road, I want you to really listen to, it's, it's long, it's kind of written in archaic uh, King James-ish, because that's how everybody interpreted things a while ago. So, um, this is, uh, and, and it talks about some incantations and some things that they did about how you threw out a demon. Listen to it first, don't start comparing it to Jesus. Just listen and then we'll compare it to Jesus. I want you to get everything that's going on in here. Now the sagacity and the wisdom which God had bestowed upon Solomon was so great that he exceeded the ancients, insomuch that he was in no way inferior to Egyptians, who are said to have been beyond all men in understanding. Nay, indeed, it is evident that their sagacity was very much inferior to that of the kings. Now, what he's doing is he's telling how awesome Solomon is. Solomon was a great, wise king, and he was awesome. And here's an example of how awesome he is. He also excelled and distinguished himself in wisdom above those who were most eminent among the Hebrews at the time for shrewdness. Those, I mean, were Ethan, Heman, Chal Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal. He also composed books of odes and songs, a thousand and five of parables, and similitudes, 3,000, for he spoke a parable upon every sort of tree, from the hyssop to the cedar, and in like manner also about beasts, all sorts of living creatures, whether upon the earth or in the sea or in the air, for he was not unacquainted with any of their natures, but omitted inquiries about them, but described them all like a philosopher and demonstrated his exquisite knowledge of their several properties. I know you're like, what is this, Mike? He's just telling how awesome Solomon is. That's all he's saying. Solomon had this great ability. He's awesome. He's making a case to the Romans about how awesome he, he, he was. God also enabled him to learn the skill which expels demons, which is a science useful and sanitative to men. He composed such incantations, 
also by which distempers are relieved, and he left behind him the manner of using exorcisms by which they drive away demons so that they never return. And this method of cure is of great force unto this day. For I have seen a certain man of my own country whose name was Eleazar, releasing people that were demonical in the presence of Vespasian, he's the emperor, and his sons, who became emperors, and his captains, and the whole multitude of his soldiers. The manner of the cure was this. He put a ring that had a root of one of those sorts mentioned by Solomon into the nostril of the demoniac, after which he drew out the demon through his nostrils. And when the man fell down, immediately he abjured him to return to him no more, still making mention of Solomon and reciting the incantations which he composed. And when Eleazar would persuade to demonstrate to the spectators that he had such power, he set a little ways off a cup or a basin full of water, and he commanded the demon as he went out of the man to overturn it and thereby to let the spectators know that he had left the man. And when this was done, the skill and wisdom of Solomon was shown very manifestly. For which reason it is that all men may know the vastness of Solomon's ability and how he was beloved of God and that the extraordinary virtues of every kind with which this king was endowed may not be unknown to any people under the sun. For this reason I say it is that we have proceeded to speak so largely of these matters. Okay, that is a typical exorcism. That's not an odd exorcism. That's the normal exorcism. You don't use your own name. You use Solomon's name. Well, what you really used was you used the powerful name of somebody who had tremendous power. And by evoking their name, you were evoking their power. That's how that worked. They were called names of power, right? They were names of power. And you evoked those names and you said, in the name of Solomon, and then you would say an incantation, habalabaluba, lubalubala, get on out of him, demon, go. That's what you did. Now that sounds, once again, that's weird to us, right? But that's actually normal. That is the norm. Now, let's take a second and pause and reflect about how Jesus' normal exorcisms compare to that. How do they compare? The name of power. Jesus doesn't exercise a demon in Solomon's name. Who does he exercise the demon in the name of? He doesn't even use a name. He just says, get out. That's all he says. Now, for us in the 20th century, we go, oh, look, Jesus is casting out demons. For the ancient people, they would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whose name are you using? And he would just say, my name, which would be what to them? That's crazy. Now, here's the thing. If it doesn't work, what are they going to, what is someone going to say to you? I went to Jesus. He casted out the demon. And the demon came back. What are they all going to say? Well, of course he can't cast it out because he's not, using, he's not using a powerful name. Jesus is using a name, an incantation, that doesn't have any power. Of course the demon's going to come back. Now, do you think you're going to get a reputation for casting out demons by not casting out demons? Demons were cast out in the name of powerful people using incantations. Let me give you an illustration of what it is like so you can get the feel of it. 
Okay, does this make sense? Help me with your name. Seth. Seth. Seth, you're going to the doctor. You got headaches. It's just, it's just blinding headaches all the time, right? You're like, oh, man, go in there. I hope no one has headaches. If you have a headache, go to the doctor. So if you, ha- you have a headache, Seth's like, man, I just, it's killing me. And so you go to the doctor's office, and, the doc- and he says, I'm having these headaches. And the doctor goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a, you got a big uh, golf, golf ball-sized tumor. It's right in there. Hold up. Give me a second, Seth. Okay, it's gone now. Go ahead. Do you want me to pay? Do you want to pay me? You don't need to. Don't worry about paying me. It's okay. It's for free. Head on home. Your headache's gone. You're like, wow. Right? You go home. What would we think of that? Right? Right? Wouldn't we think that's weird? Because it would be weird that I didn't have to pay for it. It would also be weird that what? Well, at least the headache goes away. What would we all say? He comes home the next day and he wakes up the next morning with a blinding headache. What would we all say to him? Right? You'd all say, well, of course it didn't go away because you can't put your hand on someone's head, go, oh, yeah, there's a golf ball-sized tumor in there and I just took care of it. Because we have steps in our head. There are procedures you have to go through. You go to the doctor, he signs you up for an MRI, the doctor takes you to the MRI, strips off your clothes, puts on a paper uh, tissue napkin over your body, and you go into the tunnel, and they bang, 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 right? Right? These are the procedures. These are the steps you go through. He looks at the little screen and goes, oh, yeah, you got a golf ball-sized thing there. And we all go, oh, well, that sucks. And then he sticks some poisons in you. They open up your head, they pull it out, and we all go, now it should be gone. You see how that works? Those are just steps and procedures that we deal with. Casting out demons, Eleazar's process, that's the steps that you go through to get rid of a demon. You you see what I'm saying? Those are the procedures. If Jesus was doing what he was doing in his own name, and does he ever use anything close to an incantation? Not, Not even, it's not even on the, no one ever thinks that Jesus uses incantations. Now, there are, there's names, there's incantations, and then there's sympathetic magic. Well, this is why Jesus is arresting to everybody. It's like, whoa. Because this is a world that believes in spiritual powers, but they believe that spiritual powers are controlled by these things. Powerful names, incantations, and sympathetic magic. Anyone know what sympathetic magic is? Sympathetic magic is voodoo. Take the doll, I want to break your hand. I stick a needle through its hand, and then I go, magic, magic, go through the hand, and then you break your hand. That is sympathetic magic. They've actually found dolls that had little pin things in them where you could reuse it, and you'd stick needles in and incant... I'm telling you, it's weird. You want to look something up? Look up the magic papyri. You can look it up on the internet. And it is a book of ancient incantations. And when you read them, you're going to go, these are really weird. You have to flip your thinking. The incantations are not weird. Jesus is. Jesus is weird and bizarre in a way that is heart-stopping. That is jaw-dropping. That is awe-inspiring. He just doesn't mess with these things. The closest Jesus gets to these things is spitting in mud, making mud on his fingers, and putting on the guy's eyes. 
That is the closest Jesus ever comes to anything resembling that. It is the least, and for us, what is that one? That is the most weird. It is literally backwards, okay? So what you see, what you see in this world here is this is normal. This is how they interact with these forces and dark powers, and these powers are controlling and manipulating them. And Jesus walks into the scene, and what is his ability in, this, in these, these powers? What is his power over these powers? Complete and uncontested. It is jaw-dropping. It is mind-boggling. This is how you get a following, by the way. This is how you get people going, me next, me next, I want to go next, right? Because one, if Jesus wasn't helping people, they would have said, well, of course it's not helping people. You can't go to a quack who uses his own name to throw demons out. How kooky is that? You see what I'm saying? So We know it worked. Because you don't get a reputation for throwing out demons in your own name unless it's working. <coughs> this is everybody. Jews, have, Jews are like this, but they have, um, uh, they have nuances to it. You want to read a nuance? Go and read the book of Tobit. The book of Tobit has Jewish incantations in it, and it shows us they use fish heads, and they're talking about demons and all these different kinds of things. But the work of Tobit gives you a great illustration of this. So these are the dark powers. And when Jesus walks onto the scene, he is not just kind of in control of them. He is in complete control, like absolute control. There is not a fight. There is no, and this is what the disciples carried with them. And this is why, by the way, the disciples cast out demons in Jesus' name. They don't think that they're doing it on their own. Let me give you um, another illustration here. I think it's in 1911, Acts 1911. Make sure I get it right here. Okay, yeah, we're in 19. Um, we're going to go to verse 13. Actually, we're going to start at 11. God did amazing miracles through Paul. Even hand, handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to those who were sick. What's behind this one? That's sympathetic magic. It's right there. We're going to touch you with this napkin, and your, your power is going to go onto this napkin, and then we can take it. And it's working. When this happened... Their sicknesses were healed and evil spirits left them. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus to set free those who were controlled by demons. They said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out. He is the Jesus that Paul is preaching about. Seven sons of Sceva were doing this. Sceva was a Jewish chief priest. One day the evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on Sceva's seven sons. He overpowered them all. He gave them a terrible beating and they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. The Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus heard about this. They were all overcome with fear. They held the name of the Lord Jesus in high honor. This whole phrase, this whole segment makes much more sense in light of this, doesn't it? That makes much more sense of everything that we got going on in the book of Acts. 
the name, they tried to evoke the name of Jesus as an incantational power. How did that work out for them? Yeah. And then the, that demon, that the seven sons of Siva get beat up by that one demoniac. Seven against one, and, they, and the one guy wins. That's right. That's right. And so he goes, Paul I know about, and Jesus I know. So I know Jesus. Paul, I've heard about you. You're nobody. You see the danger of messing around with these kind of forces? It was dangerous to them. You don't mess around with them because their locus of control is where? Outside of themselves. This is where the Holy Spirit as a force that is outside of you is a real deal. Like they really believed that. The Holy Spirit was a force and a power that is outside of you, that is coming into you, that is empowering you. So my locus of control is not mine, it is the Holy Spirit. Does this sound familiar? Right? It's not mine, it's the Holy Spirit that's living within me. So in that sense, I don't just dig it in and try harder. How come? Because my locus of control is not inside, it is outside. And so I don't overcome the power of sin that is dominating me. The Holy Spirit has to come into me and change me. How many of us have heard this from day one when we were going up a church? Right? Like this, I'm not preaching anything that you haven't heard. You're just hearing it in slightly different ways. That's exactly right. We are living in a world, they were living in a world, that had powers and forces that were larger than themselves that manipulated and controlled them. And what they needed was somebody bigger, more powerful, and who had the ability to control those forces to be on their side. And what do we see in Jesus? That's exactly right. So when we say that Jesus came to restore Israel, to bring Israel back to himself. So he gets the 12 disciples. And when we say that Jesus initiates a new covenant and a new way of life, and when we say Jesus came to redeem humanity out from under the dark powers and forces that manipulate and control them, we ain't joking around. That's what they're talking about. Now, we may not talk about that in today's world, but that's what the gospel was. 2,000 years ago. It was, I have, been, I have been called into a new relationship. I am now grafted into Israel, and Christ will deliver me from the forces of darkness that are manipulating and controlling me. I don't do this. The Holy Spirit does it. I'm not in charge of it. God is in charge of it. So when things are going wrong, I don't just dig deeper, I pray harder. Because I need a force and a power that is beyond me that can set me on that path. This is not American Christianity, this is just ancient world Christianity. And by the way, this is the one that took over the Roman Empire. Okay? When you're dealing with people who are dealing with uh, incantations and sympathetic magic, they are not looking for religious symbols. They're looking for actual power, real power. power.
Power that can change their environment. Power that can change their situation. We talk about what Christ can do for us in terms of how he can make me feel better on the inside. Jesus came to make me feel good about myself. That is not why he came. He didn't come so that you could have good self-esteem. I'm sorry. He came to release you from dark powers and forces that are manipulating and controlling you, which means that you are neck deep in what? Sin? Spiritual war. You are neck deep in a spiritual war. Yeah. Uh, today. <laughs> this is normal today. It's abnormal for Americans, and our media does not let this kind of information get out. Right. Okay. Yeah. That is, this was a reality in the ancient world, and the church brought this power into the ancient world. There were, this is not the only confrontation that happens in Scripture. There are other people who have dark forces and dark powers, and they get confronted by the believers, and the believers have this confrontation with them. And this is part of evangelism, people. Part of evangelism was... This witch doctor, this sorcerer has made these incantations on my family. And the pastor would come in and say, you don't have to be bound by that anymore. You don't have to do that anymore. You can be freed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they would come in and they would sit down with them and they would pray with them. And um, do I have time? I do have time. Um, and the Holy Spirit would come in and change them and, and their situation would change. Do you think that person's going to go, well, thanks for that, see you later, I'll call you next time I need something, in this kind of context? Do you guess what they're going to do? How come? Because powers and forces are where? Everywhere. And Christians were adamant that it's Jesus and Jesus only. You don't add Jesus to the community of the gods. It's Jesus and Jesus only. Jesus has complete control of all of this, so you don't need any of this, so it's Jesus only. Now, what kind of a risk is that in this world? Huge. It's a huge risk. I'm putting all my eggs in one basket. I'm relying on Christ to cover all of my needs, not just one particular area. 
Poseidon is the god of the sea. When my kid goes on a sailing trip because he's got business to be done, I go to Poseidon's temple and I offer a, a sacrifice to Poseidon so my kid can come home. I stop doing that now and now I only rely on Jesus. Are you sure? What if I offend that God? What could he do to me? We lose all, all of this is lost on us. It's just gone because we don't live in that world anymore. But that is the risk that they ran. I will offend Poseidon by not going to his temple. He's going to drown my kid. Are you really willing to take that risk? And that is what the church demanded. Nope, you do. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. You don't get the benefits of Christ without having to follow Christ. Now, I said I was going to take just a few minutes. How many of us have read the book of John? Have you noticed the exorcisms there? Uh, someone look up, find the exorcisms in John for me. Where Jesus cast out a demon. I'll give you two minutes to see if you can find one. There is a mention of one. I'm not going to ask you to find that one, but I'm asking you to find an exorcism. Is that in, is that in John? Absolutely. Is it in John? This is a freebie, guys. I'm giving you a freebie here. He does write from a different perspective. Where are the, where are the exorcisms in John? There aren't any. Don't you find that odd? Does that mean that John doesn't believe in exorcisms? He does. He says Mary Magdalene, who had... Seven demons. That's, that is the closest thing you're going to get to an exorcism in John. Now, isn't that weird? Yep. There are no exorcisms in John. None. You won't find them. You get that one reference where he talks about um, Mary Magdalene having seven demons. That's it. It's the only ones you get. It's because in John, this is a freebie, guys. You ready? In John, there are two types of people. There are children of God and children of the devil. How many times does John talk about that? Your father is the father of lies. And you speak his natural language. Who is John talking to? The Pharisees. There are two people in John's world. The children of light and the children of darkness. What this means in John's theology is that when you come to Christ, you are exorcised. Which means... Before you come to Christ, you are under You are under the power of the devil. In John's world, there are only two types of people, the children of God and the children of the devil. That is not the theology you get in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's just not there. But in John, you absolutely get this view of the world, which says what? What's that say about your locus? Where's John's locus of control? Outside. It's either the devil who's controlling you or God who's controlling you. Is that where the sin nature come in the garden? That's a whole other conversation. We're going to leave that one for another day. Um, but in John, this, this is why I said it's a freebie. In John, you are controlled by something else. And that something else is either the God, God Christ, the Holy Spirit, or the devil. Now, you, you know how you read that? Read 1 John, 2 John. 
We are children of light. That language of light is in First and Second John. Not in Third John so much, but Third John's like three pages. In the book of John, you are either a child of God or you are a child of the devil. And so when you come to Christ, you are being delivered from being a child of the devil and you become a child of light. That's just how John functions. That's just John's way of looking at the world. Which is not how we look at it. But you know I'm right, right? Go back there and read John. You're not going to find an exorcism. Look at how he talks about children and fatherhood. Those three issues. Go look those up. Read John. Look at fatherhood, childhood, child being a child, and look at demonic demons. He believes in demons, but the demons are influencing everybody who's not of God. Which means what kind of a war are we in? A serious spiritual war where the children of dark are warring against the children of light. And the children of light have to war with their powers back. Okay. Uh, my, uh, but against principalities and powers and dark forces of this great spiritual age. Okay. The book I've got here <coughs> is by uh, Dr. Bennett. He was actually one of my professors when I was working on my PhD. It's called uh, I Am Not Afraid, and he went to uh, Madagascar, and there's actually a large number of Madagascarian, Madagascarian, Madagascar's, Madagascar Christians, and so they believe in very much in this world, and so uh, he went there and interviewed people who had been bound by spiritual things. He just recorded their stories. So, um, uh, uh, was, uh, I Am Not Afraid by uh, Dr. Robert Bennett. <clears throat> so this is a guy's story who um, became a Lutheran Christian um, and had had spiritual experiences. Before I became a Christian, I worshipped the Rosanna, and I had a beast from the river that was inside of me called an Ambryoandrano. <laughs> Uh, Zavariandrano, or a mermaid. I had to talk to the beast every day and ask blessings from the Razana. This beast was like my wife because she would not allow me to marry anyone. I did not approach any person to get the Ambriroandrano. I went and stood by the river at the end of the day when there was no sun. She called to me and took me into her home. Once there, we called upon the Razana and with them had a feast at her home. I love the beast because of all the blessings and wealth that she gave me. We offered many sacrifices of cows and bulls as we called upon the Rezana. It was at this time that I consecrated all of the charms, branches, and leaves that this beast gave to me. My work was that of a fisherman. I threw my net into the river. During that time, I had a lot of financial difficulties. One day, I caught a large number of fish, and I was astonished. I asked why I got these 40 large fish. When I went to sleep in my house, a woman, the Ambrio Andrano, came to me and we made love. She said to me that she was the owner of the river and that she had given me the fish. It was after accepting to be her husband that my living standards became much better. We're going to pause here. Anybody else think this is weird? <laughs> okay, good, just checking. I had difficulty calling the spirit a wife. I could touch her, I could kiss her, and I could talk to her. She had the appearance of a beautiful woman like a person. No one could see her, but only I could see her. 
However, one day the woman asked me for a terrible thing. She asked me to give her the blood of the children of my sister. She wanted to drink their blood. When I reflected on this for a long time, she thought that I would divorce her. Then she took me by force into her home under the water, and we stayed there for one week. When I came back from her house, I called my family, and they forbade me to go to the water and fish anymore. They took me to the Lutheran church, and the church persuaded me to the gospel. One of my brother's children was a Lutheran. I told the Christians at his church my story, and they gave me a Bible and brought me every day to the Toby to be exercised, which is the pastor. After one month, they brought me to church. When this occurred, my wife, the spirit, came to me and said, I have come to bring you home. I saw her, and I told my family that she was there, and my family called the Mpedandri, and they came and sent her away in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And then she disappeared, and I could not see her anymore. It was then that I became Lutheran. The Lutheran faith sent her out of me for good, and she has never returned. Yes, it's Missouri Senate. Yes. Anybody else think that's weird? That's incredibly weird. Yes. Yeah, here's the problem. He's a psychotic. Okay, got it. You're, you're having a psychotic break with the world. Then how come it doesn't happen anymore? Like, what I'm, what I'm saying is, why doesn't it come back? He says she's never returned. If he was having a psychotic break, the problem becomes, well, then why didn't the psychotic break keep coming back? If it was just a psychotic break. Yeah. This is interesting stuff, isn't it? Um, it gets weird when we start thinking about these kind of things. These things don't happen here. He's got another book where actually he talks about people in Louisiana, people in the South, people all over the country who are messing around with spiritual things. Um, I have uh, a girl in my church, who a lady in the church that I kind of grew up with. We went to church together, and her daughter has apparently been doing incantations in her room. My daughter went into the room that she's been in, she had been doing these incantations in, and she said, it was really weird. We didn't talk about any of this stuff. So I, I was talking to her, and she said, yeah, I went into her room, Dad, and it was just so weird. I felt like somebody was watching me. And so she was like, I didn't go back there anymore. And I was like, that's probably a good thing. You, you need to not be messing around with those kind of things. Um, we have this imaginary world where these things aren't happening anymore. Guys, this is more normal than we're willing to recognize. And this is why I'm not worried about America long term. Right now we can become atheists. Yeah, they did that in Russia. How long did it last? Oh, about 70 years. Give or take. They're trying it in China. Guess what the result is? About 300 million Christians. That's what's the result. They have spiritually starved their, their people and opened up a huge vacuum that the church is filling. We are going through a downtime right now. Trust me, we are not going to be an atheist nation for a thousand years. It's not going to happen. We are much more likely to become pagans. My professor said, this is really the default human religion. This is what people default to. Not atheism. Atheism is not what people default to. This is what they default to. <laughs> One world leader, yes. Yeah. 
Oh, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. My doctor, and this is why, by the way, we sue the pants off doctors. Because they're in control and they messed it up somehow. Yeah. So it's interesting. I'm hoping to give you guys hope. One, because we're reverting back to this, this is an enemy we can fight. Do you know why? We have the name of Jesus and we've played this game. This is a game we've played before. And we won a lot. Europe, much like this. Pagan Europe, much like this. The early church, when we talk about powers of com- confrontation of powers, guess what? We have the name of Jesus. We have Jesus' name. And what has happened is we have turned spirituality into a psychological warm blanket that's supposed to make me feel good. And when religion doesn't make me feel good, I run away screaming. Maybe it's never been about you feeling good. Maybe it's about power. Maybe it's really about a thing of power. And the reason your faith doesn't have much grounding is because you think it's for your psychological easement. What if it's really about taking on dark forces who are manipulating your family, who are manipulating your friends, who are manipulating your church, and you have to have the power of God to enable you to take them on? Instead, we're all like, Jesus makes me feel bad because he doesn't like who I have sex with. That makes me feel bad. What a weak and pathetic faith. It is all about us. All about us feeling good. What if that's not what's really supposed to be happening at all? What if you are a warrior in a fight and your job is to pick up your sword, not feel good about the foxhole you're sitting in? That would be what the early church did. I know I kind of jumped from the early church to now. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when the split happened. Maybe it was when I started reading the story. But um, this is how the ancient church worked. You're not just a person who's there to feel good about yourself. You're in a fight, and you're a fight to the death. And it's either the powers of darkness and the powers of evil, or it's going to be the power of God. And you are God's agent in this war. Than he who's in the world. Thoughts on this before we go? I know it was a weird day. Who thinks this was a weird day? It's okay. It is okay. It's a weird day. I completely agree with you. Yes. What did I tell you guys? I said, we're going to hit this this week. And some of the stuff that he was hitting on Monday and Tuesday were kind of setting us up here for this. This is what I was going to talk about a couple weeks ago. Yes. Exactly. That's exactly what happens. I've done all this. That's right. That's exactly right.
Yep. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you can, yeah, you can begin to think that you're the ones that do. You're the one that does things. Absolutely. How many of us have kind of had a shift of perspective today? Just to kind of change the way we look at things. Guys, what's really funny is I am not saying anything that wasn't said 2,000 years ago. This is how the early church preached. It was just that nobody, under, like everybody inherently understood this. You didn't have to explain it to them. For us, it's kind of like this, wow, this is what they really thought? Yeah, this is what they really thought. I'm not being a theologian right now. I'm being a historian. I'm just telling you what they believed. And I think there's a real power in us just simply reconnecting with that that we are in a fight that matters. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the, the fight that we're in is about the, the, the spiritual battles that we are occurring, that are occurring all around us. And um, I think we've lost some of this. And so hopefully, the, I'm not telling you to go out and learn incantations. We don't need to change any of that. All you're doing is praying in Jesus' name. And you're beginning to pray more. That's all you should be doing, is you need to recognize the need of the Holy Spirit in your life because you can't take on a demon. You can't do it. And it's a mistake to try. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the lie. I can, I, you can, you can get control of these things. Should we always just say, get out of here in his name, or should we find 
feeding them so that they're not How do we interact with this information? Is that what we're kind of asking? Yeah. One, I think we just simply become aware of it. I think by simply becoming aware, just recognizing there's a difference between the world that we live in today and the world that they lived in. And I'm not sure that the world that we think we live in is actually the world that we actually live in. And just simply by being open to forces that are larger than ourselves, not to them, but that they are there. Uh, and I think this really should cause us to begin a life of prayer. Yeah, it should begin to really get us thinking about how we, how we are spiritually fit for this. We're going to get him first, and then we'll come back to you. What was your question? Oh, okay, okay. Well, going back to that, though, that kid wasn't free. That oh, no, no, they're never free. Not free at all. They think they are. No, I mean, yeah, he, just, he, was, he loved that power. Sure. Yep. And he said, he goes, Seth, I can't believe you're here right now. You know, it's dark though. It's like 10 o'clock at night. And um, he goes, I, I, I heard a voice telling me all day to kill myself. And I brought it down today. And I was about ready to pull the trigger. And he said, but I also heard another voice, and no other voice but God, say, I need to call me, my dad, and my friend. And I didn't do it. He goes, I can't believe you're here right now. Because... I was just going to save my life. And, you know, within 10 minutes, all three of us were there. My dad prayed. Cassidy, you know. And this guy, many people come to Christ in this manner. Oh, sure. You know, it's just. What, do you see how that is a power thing? That's a power thing. That's a, that's a, what I mean by that is there's a power that's controlling him that he felt under, manipulated and controlled by. Jesus comes into the situation, alters the situation, and that guy isn't just the one who gets saved. Who else gets saved? Many, Many people around. You see how that works? There, that power is real, and that is what converted the Roman Empire. That's what really got people's attention. There's something there. There's not psychological comfort. Like, there's power there. Absolutely. Let's pray so we can get out of here. I know we're out of time. Father, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for this, this time. We're thankful for the stories that we've heard. Lord, help us to recognize that we are in a battle for the soul and the spirit of our country, for the soul and the spirit of our nation. And I ask now, Lord, that you would do a work within us and help us to become the people that you need us to be. We're thankful for all this, thankful for this week, and how that I have contributed my portion of your message to this week. We love you and we praise you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.